Hey, this is Dali, and you're listening to the Fear the Sword podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Bottom, a Fear the Sword podcast. As always, I'm Chris Manning, your host and the site manager over at Fear the Sword. Joining me today is my co-host, David Zabok from Fear the Sword. David, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm doing good. So let's let, we're going to talk this week about... Lastly, we're going to talk about the three games the Cavs have this week against good teams. Technically four if you want to lump in next Sunday's game at Milwaukee. We're going to talk about the defensive issues, and we're going to talk about Colin Sexton's assist numbers. But David, uh, you wrote about Cavs-Mavs last night. Did you have like fun watching that game? Did you have like was that a game that brought you joy, or like did you learn? Did you feel like you learned anything interesting from that specific game? No, I've been like taking a glass half full look really for the last couple months. But like last night's game was kind of frustrating to me. Um, I mean, the, the good news is like the, the people who you would like want to be good were pretty good. Kevin Love was good. Colin Sexton was pretty good. Chetty Osman was pretty good. And then Ante Zizic was pretty good. Everybody else was a disaster, but um, they're just not really defending very well. Um, and they had seemed to take some steps forward. Um, but last night definitely seemed like a step back defensively. Um, you've touched on it, but um, you know Marquise Chris just isn't really helping out there. So you know if you're losing games because of your bench, but you're getting your good young players to play well, that's that's pretty good. But I just didn't see a whole lot of defensive intensity for. 98% of the night. So Kevin Love post game, I like, even so for context, even when I am not at a game, I try to like see at least what guys say because I just want to a, make sure doing my job, making sure I'm not missing something salacious they say or whatever. But Love last night and uh, Jetty hit on this a little bit too. Um, was that like, they just didn't, and they, they've said this before this year. It's that like when they're not scoring, it feels like they, they feels like a group. They're maybe not going as hard on defense. And I, I was thinking about, uh, there's this really good low post this week where, Zach Lowe talked to Brett Brown and Brett Brown was talking about like you know you have you you may devise your defensive game plan around math and like what shots you're comfortable allowing but like if let's say it's like the the example they used was like let's say the Marcus Aldridge is like hitting five mid-range shots in a row that is going to deflate your team like they're human beings like the math is going to sort of like not matter at that point and with the Cavs it just seems like they just get very like in a hole and like maybe this day I don't really know what the root cause of it is and it's probably different for for different guys but like when they get in a hole and although they did fight back in this game it's just like they like don't really know how to like handle that like getting punched in the mouth and like buckling down and that's some someone of that some of that is the personnel right like Jordan Clarkson is an atrocious defender. Um, he has a worse defensive RPM than, than Colin Sexton last time I checked. Sexton is also pretty bad at court if you go by that metric. Um, only like Trey Young. It's like those those two and Trey Young are like the three worst defensive point guards in the league based on defensive RPM. Chris um, is, you know, is not a good defender. And last night you could just, I watched him get uh, picked apart in a give and go because he was defending his guy like it was a, at a bounds play that hadn't been where the, the passer hadn't been given the ball yet. Um, David Nawaba, for as good as he is as a defender, is like probably being stretched too far about about being asked to do like too much based on what he actually can do right now. That is sort of my take seeing him kind of play recently. And I, and I think too, like, 
Mike Longobardi has not done, I think, much to inspire confidence that his schemes work. And I wonder what the Cavs do this summer in terms of their coaching staff, in terms of their ro- what adjustments they make on the roster, because there will be some slots they have to, to fill in an intentional way. I wonder if they do something to at least like get more defensively competent players. So even if the roster is a bit mismatched next year, it does make more sense because I, I think if they want to even be more competent next year, the defense just like cannot be as disastrous as it is a lot of the time this year. Yeah. And I never know like how much you should, you know, just blame a coach when you have so many non-defenders, like, you know, there's Colin Sexton has some nice defensive upside, but you're not going to see that from a 19 or 20 year old in the league. Um, you know, Larry Drew has talked about it. Um, when they have so many guys in and out of the lineup, you're not going to get a whole lot of, um, you know, communication and, you know, trust that all that stuff is, is really difficult to build on. Um, so, you know, you want to, you know, keep in mind that there are probably, you know, a couple really good excuses. Um, but at the same time, um, they've been really, really bad defensively for years now. So, um, it kind of goes a few different ways, but, um, you know, they, they have guys who, uh, they have a lot of Sasha Pavloviches on this team where you know, <laughs> my offense is my defense. And, you know, you talked about Jordan Clarkson. I think that's 100%, you know, him, I think Nick Stauskas is trying to get a foothold in the league and, um, you know, trying to, to get his offensive game together. I don't know how much, you know, the defensive player he'd be, even if he was really engaged, uh, Marquise Chris, again, another guy who's just kind of, you know, trying to, you know, establish himself as like a stretch power forward, stretch center, maybe even, um, these guys aren't really focused on, on defense and, um, you know, Kevin Love, when he's one of your better defenders, that's that's not a recipe for success. And unfortunately, that's kind of where the Cavs have been, you know, for a little while now. What did you think of them going through zone for a large, large chunk of that game last night? I don't have like the exact time that like I noticed that they switched, but it was something they they really went to and really relied on. And it was part of it was the defense. I believe they were running when they kind of went on that run in the second half to make it a more competitive game. Did you like that? That's something they did. Um, I mean, more teams are going to it around the league. I'm not, you know, a, a huge fan of it. It feels kind of college-y to me and high school-y to me. But, um, you know, I, I think the one issue that I have with it is that um, when you have a lot of lineups where there aren't rebounders, you're sort of adding to the degree of difficulty. So if you have, you know, Marquise, Marquise Chris out there and you have David Nwaba as a stretch four, um, you know, you're it, it's tough to rebound out of his own and, and you're making it harder for guys who aren't really rebounders, you know, for those positions in the first place. So um, I think, I mean, I, I think the Mavericks made a bunch of shots uh, the Mavericks were left open on a bunch of shots, so I, I can see why maybe you'd want to go to the zone to try and counteract. But um, ultimately, uh, the Mavericks really, until there were eight or nine minutes left in that basketball game, they were scoring regardless of what the Cavs were doing. So, 
Here's why I, I like it to some extent, because I think it does simplify things. Like a lot of the mistakes I think the Cavs do make are these mistakes where they are like not really knowing where to go or like guys don't really know exactly what like scheme they're running. Like the, the, the two big defensive miscues, I highlighted these in like a Twitter thread I, I put out on Sunday. Uh, that that really stood out to me. Number one, whereas Marquise Chris, like I already mentioned, it was just like staring at his guy, and Nawaba had to like come all the way out and then try to like recover because Chris didn't move, and like Chris just maybe doesn't know what he's supposed to do there, and he is new to the newish to the team and everything. So okay. Secondly, there was like Jordan Clarkson uh, was def- was with Kevin Love. The Mavs went. I, I think it was Devin Harris as a ball handler and Dirk as the as the big and the screener here. Harris comes around and Jordan Clark love like sticks with Dirk, which is probably the right play. Um, out of just out of respect and everything like that. And he didn't really do much to like hedge on Harris, but like so Harris got around. Clarkson just like didn't get down and move his feet. Like he tried to just like stay upright and get back and he gave up an easy layup that would have been better defended by him if he just like was in a better stance and was moving his feet a little bit better. If they go zone and they do it in a way where like the the guys are in the right spots they can make it work. And I think especially when they bring back Tristan Thompson and when they bring back Larry Nance Jr. And like Marquise Chris might not play at that point. That's a question I think we're going to find out this week based on the the injury reports we saw for Saturday. Like maybe having those two guys who are good rebounders who actually know how to box out and Kevin Love, of course, and Zizic uses his body fairly well. If those guys are inside and you can like put your Nawaba and like Jetty and guys who sort of know what they're doing. And I think Stauskas at least tries I think you can like make that work better than they have been, and I, I will say like they. I don't know what it is on Sunday, but they were like twenty fifth in defense in March going into last night's game, and they gave up a shit ton of points. But like that's better than the thirtieth they were uh, in our for the year. So I I kind of like it at least because it just makes them a little bit more competent. They don't do it well, but like it just seems like, especially when they get guys who know how to box out back, it might be a functional way for them to like not be as much of a disaster and just get to the end of the year without giving up like 140 points every night. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've definitely taken steps forward across the board, and that's kind of why I felt like last night was a step back. Like the only time that they showed really any intensity at all was when they realized Dirk Nowitzki might pass Wilt Chamberlain in points. Um, and then all of a sudden they were everywhere, um, which I thought was kind of like lame, um, frankly. I mean, one, I don't know that like passing somebody on a scoring list is like, you know, it's not like, a, oh, don't let us be the ones that he gets it on. Like, I, I don't I don't know why it like matters to the Cavs if they're the ones that Dirk gets the points on. If they like came into the game with their scouting report saying like we have to stop Dirk to win, and then they were doing it, and that's fine, but that's not what it was. Like they realized Dirk was getting close, and like you could viscerally see a change in their like work ethic and habits over the last you know ten minutes of the game, and it was it, if you couldn't if it wasn't so easy to tell how different it was, you know, no big deal, but it was pretty clear all of a sudden they started caring. Um, and it just didn't really sit very well with me, but it is what it is. No, I don't, I don't disagree. I think like the fact that they're so bad defensively is in part like an effort thing. I think 
coaches will tell you that it's partially a defensive thing and an effort thing and or an effort thing not a defensive thing excuse me and like when guys don't try and they're like not invested on that end and, and maybe some of it is like the slow start or whatever that that love and those guys hit on like maybe that's it and like I, again i think it's the personnel um where would you say like we're up at this topic up on this david when you look at ahead at the roster um where where would like getting guys who can be competent defenders rank on your list of things you would say the Cavs should be like trying to get this summer. Like even if it's like rookies that like have defensive upside or, or, you know, free agent signings or whatever, where does that rank on your priorities list? Well, you definitely need like, you know, growth from Chetty and Collins. And like, I don't know that either of them look like they'll ever be like really good defenders, but you know, if they take steps forward in the off season, um, you know, a lot of it's a mindset shift you know Colin needs to you know what as he gets more comfortable offensively he'll have uh you know um he'll have more space to sort of develop as a defender and I, I'm sure he will do that Chetty's in the same boat you know he's even further in the league so he has even less of, a, of an excuse to not get there um but I think he will um but you know they need to you know keep David Nawaba around. They need help from from Tristan Thompson. Um, you know, are they should they go out there you know and draft somebody that they think is going to be like a defensive shutdown player? No, I, I don't think that's really the case. You know, hopefully they have a good enough pick where you know they're they're really trying to find just an overall difference maker. Um, but you know I, we've talked about it before. They they should always be looking for. Um, you know, athletic wings and um, guys with long, long arms and and hand, active hands, because you know they're they're not they're not getting that enough right now. Um, and maybe you know sometimes it's addition by subtraction. And if if they can get a taker for Jordan Clarkson, I think you know that that would be helpful to the defense as well. We're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna be back with more of the bottom if you're the sword podcast. So stay tuned for more of this episode. And David, we are back. Okay, let's get into Colin Sexton and his assist number. So I think rightfully he's being praised a lot for how much better he's gotten as a scorer. I think Colin has done a pretty great job at improving his shot. He's shooting like 44 uh, percent this month on threes. Hat tip to friend of the of the pod Jordan Zerm for tweeting that out on Sunday. Um, but his assist numbers do not exactly paint a picture of a guy who is, you know, moving the ball well, who has like figured out that end of the floor. To just run through some of the numbers among rookie guards, he is the tenth highest um, assist percentage among rookies. For context on that, of guys who are like actually playing, Shea Alexander is only a bit higher at sixteen point nine. Uh, Jalen Brunson, who he played last night, is at twenty one point nine. Trey Young is. Leagues and bounds the best in the league among rookie guard to 39.1%. Um, if you look at his turnover percentage, that's a little bit better for him. He's at 12.3, which is which is pretty good. It's it's in the better part of these rankings, uh, 14th lowest among rookie guards, and it's um, about so a, a best among some of these rookie guys. He's competing against Trey for instance, is at 18.5. At uh, usage rate, he's second in the league among rookie guard to 25.3. Only Trey is higher at 27.9. You know, I, th- I think we look at him and we don't see a guy that has like expert vision or has like elite vision in any way. But where are you at on Colin Sexton, the passer right now? 
Well, I think, you know, there have been times where his teammates seem to be sort of upset with his lack of vision. Um, he seems to kind of get upset with some of his teammates every once in a while um, because he doesn't think they're making the right play. Um, it's hard to, like, tell, like, how big of a deal it is. Like, is it just sort of in the moment stuff? Um, for all intents and purposes, it seems like the Cavs are still extremely high on him. Um, but, you know, I just think, I don't think it's like a him being a ball hog and not, you know, wanting to pass the ball. I don't know that he has the vision to like be a really good distributor. Um, and, you know, I've only talked to him once and briefly, but he knows that part of his game has to develop. I think it's a really difficult part of your game to develop, right? Like if you, you know, saw LeBron in college or not in college in, in high school, it was his passing vision that stood out. And you can usually tell the guys who have really good vision and, and who can, you know, see and feel where their teammates are on the floor. I don't think that's him. Um, so, you know, he's taken steps forward, you know, as a scorer, um, and you're right. I mean, I don't think he really turns the ball over that often, but that is sort of a uh, function of, of not really passing the ball very often either. So um, certainly it has a lot of work to do, but that just might not be who he is. And then you have to sort of say, okay, well, then what, what is it that you do have? For, for a little more data on this, so last night against the Mavericks, he according to Cleaning the Glass, he, Kevin Love, and Jetty Osmond all had the same assist percentage of 18.2. So that would tell you that the, what the way the Cavs are setting up their offense, and I think you watch this on the tape too, and it makes sense considering the skill sets these guys have, that he's not he's not the one being tasked in a traditional point guard way where he is being asked to like create and then like lead everything from day one. He's being put into off-ball situations, maybe being asked to make secondary reads. Um, three of his assists last night were on swing passes to to Osman, I specifically, I believe, where he was just moving the ball, making the correct pass, and not like making the read out of a pick and roll or anything like that. Um, secondly, if you want to look at the the guy that I think a lot of people, including myself, have like looked at his uh, Carmelo model on five thirty eight and then compare and sort of compared him to Darren Fox last year as a rookie and had a assist percentage that was a a bit higher than Colin Sexton's. As a rookie at age 20, he's at 24.6% assist percentage, a uh, higher turnover percentage, a lower usage rate, but had a better feel for that game. When I look at Colin, I'm not like super like concerned that it's not going to ever totally click for him because I do think like he he's a guy that I he, I think and I think this is part of the reason why the Cavs drafted him is that they believe he can improve, that he they believe He's got this like crazy work ethic and whatever, and I and I do think he's a guy that's gonna make those things. But this is sort of one of those skills that you either maybe have it or you don't. Like Trey already has like an excellent core vision. It's it's something Trevor Magnotti, who deserves a lot of credit for being right about this, uh, was saying like that's his best attribute. It's not his shooting, which he's very good at and everything, but it's his passing ability that really sets him apart. Colin maybe is never gonna be like an elite passer in that way, and you can still be a good player that way. Probably limit your ceiling. It also makes it interesting to see how the Cavs build. Now, if you have a team with Kevin Love and Jetty and you, you know, draft another player where you can kind of play ball sharing basketball that's sort of like adjacent to what the Hawks did a couple years ago, that can work. But it's it I think visually it will be jarring to to think of it that like a point guard is maybe not the guy that's like racking up all the assists for the Cavs. Like I think in terms of what we're used to, it's gonna be a little bit different. 
Well, and I think, you know, the good news is we're seeing, you know, in today's league, whether it's Luka Doncic or, you know, some other players, um, you know, you, you don't have to get your uh, distributing from the point guard or the nominal point guard all of the time. You can have multiple different creators on the floor. Um, so, you know, there's there's a chance that they'll find, you know, a, you know, and Ben Simmons is another one. Um there's a chance that you can find somebody that can distribute as sort of a, you know, ball handling wing, and and Colin has has shot the ball well from three point range, at least enough to make you feel like he can play off the ball. Um, he'll have to want that, um, but also I think it's it's you know like we talked about you know last time, it's why the Cavs should be open to a you know a Ja Morant type player where, um, you know, Colin Sexton might not be your you know, true point guard that you need moving forward. So can he be a combo guard? Absolutely. Um, would he be an undersized, you know, shooting guard? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't know that that disqualifies him or, or keeps him from being a really helpful player. So, you know, some of it's going to need, you know, Colin himself to buy in and, and play off the ball a little bit more than he is right now. Um, but if he doesn't really distribute at, at like a really high level, you might not really have much of a choice. Uh, just two stats here I'm going to point out. Well, and then I'm going to see if you can guess one about a, a former Cavs point guard who people can get into. Um, okay, for the season, on catch-and-shoot threes on 1.6 attempts per game, he's at 43.4%. So that's like a pretty good number. That's 11.3% of his shots according to um, NBA stat, NBA.com backslash stats. So in March, Sexton is taking 17.6% of his shots as catch-and-shoot threes. He's taking 2.8 a game. He's making 40.9%. So it's a bigger clip, but like that percentage is still pretty good. I, that makes me feel like just seeing that number um, and, and, of course, watching the tape and everything, I feel better about that. And, and I, I do think it would be interesting to see if the Cavs continue to push him off ball because I think they are doing stuff purposely um, to put him off ball. So, David, we're going to wrap it up, uh, this segment, on this question. What was Kyrie Irving's assist percentage as a, as a 19-year-old in 2011-12? 36%. Crazy, weirdly, that that is to date the highest assist percentage of his career. And the only time he's come like within spitting distance of that is this season. At age 26, he's at 36.1% for the Celtics. Yeah, he actually, you know, and I, one, I, I, I sort of just knew that because I've looked at his basketball reference too many times. Um, but, um, people forget how actually well he played with Anton Jameson, uh, his, his rookie year. Um, and I, when I, when I talk about how the Cavs really, I think sort of stunted his development, that's what I mean. I mean, he, he had sort of a nice pick and roll partner his rookie year. Nobody's going to say Antoine Jameson was like good, but he was, you know, competent and knew what he was doing. And then they just, basically gave him Tristan Thompson for the next three years, uh, Anderson Vergeau, but they really didn't, you know, do anything to like promote him being a distributor. Um, so I think that was part of, you know, his, you know, Kyrie's regression as a passer. How can the Cavs make that same mistake? Not avoid making that same mistake, excuse me, with, with sex in this time around. Is there something they could do to make sure that, um, that it could be something that isn't, you know, a problem that they have a sex in this time in the way they had it with Kyrie. Um, I mean, are you going to keep Kevin Love? You know, I mean, are they going to add a? You know, I'm kind of a, of a mind now. You know, you can start to say, well, you know, the only way that 
you know, losing Kevin Love makes any sense is if you are adding a player like, you know, Zion Williamson that can step in and sort of be that, you know, dynamic player to, to sort of help him. So um, unless you get, you know, another, you know, pick and pop shooter, you know, the Cavs finally added Spencer Hawes. <laughs> to help Kyrie yeah that that was the fact that Spencer Hawes was like a big piece in Kyrie that season is like an underrated thing we like both like don't talk about enough and both like should never talk about again exactly so um you know they need to make sure that you know that they have somebody competent that and honestly Tristan Thompson probably qualifies now right like and Larry Nance probably does too so they are in a much better spot with Colin than they were with Kyrie uh that is for sure yeah all right we're gonna take one more break and then we're gonna go back to get into this week's games uh which are gonna be tough for the Cavs so stay tuned for more of the bottom a fear the sword podcast and we are back okay David, the Cavs this week have a home game against the Detroit Pistons, a Wednesday home game against the Milwaukee Bucks, and then on Friday night, they are hosting the Los Angeles Clippers, and on Sunday, they go to Milwaukee to play the Bucks again. Now, these teams are all in the playoff picture right now. The Detroit Pistons are number six in the East with a 35-33 and 33 record. They are 7-3 and three in their last 10. They just came off a pretty long win streak. The Bucks are, of course, the best team in the East right now, the best team in the NBA right now with 52 wins already. Just lost Malcolm Brogdon for a long period of time, unfortunately. And then the Clippers are the eighth seed in the West by a six-game clip over the Sacramento Kings. So they look like they're going to be a playoff team out West as well. Very funny that they are going to be a playoff team and are eight and a half games above the Lakers as we record this. This is going to be a rough week for the Cavs. Um, I w- it would not shock me, and I don't know if it would shock you, if they lost all three games, right? Like, it just, I, don't, I haven't looked at the schedules for other teams, but that just seems like a thing that could relatively happen. Now, Detroit is playing today, so they're going to be in the second half of a back-to-back, and it's not, like, far from Detroit to Cleveland, but, like, that could impact this. What are you just expecting out of the Cavs this week, if if anything? What are the things you're going to be watching the most for? Uh, you know, they were defending, you know, a little bit better for a while. Is that going to, you know, come back, or is that just gone? Um, was that sort of a short, okay, we're getting some guys healthy, you know, have this little, you know, little surge of momentum and then kind of slide back into what they were. Um, I'm curious about Tristan Thompson, if and when he comes back. I think that's interesting. Um, same with Larry Nance. Um, you know, if they won one of the three games, I think that would be really good. Um, but, you know, when we were talking about, you know, the Cavs won some games, oh my gosh, are they screwing up their tanking? Um, you know, maybe in terms of, of being the worst team, yes, but um, we knew that this tough part of the schedule was coming up and, and would bring them back to, to earth either way. So now here we are. My big thing, I think, is that it is going to be all about the guys that come back and how they impact the roster, right? Like, so I think Larry Nance and Tristan were both like late scratches, actually. Um, 
on Saturday because of just obviously they got scratched because they're still kind of hurt and they there's no need to like rush them back but they did not play but it seems like they maybe could play Monday and if they don't play Monday it seems like both could play Wednesday you know what does that mean for the rotation like does that just mean that Marquise Chris again is is on the bench at that point that seems possible um Delhi I don't you know we don't really quite know what's going on with Matthew Delavadova um I I've been checking like the NBA media site and looking at the injury reports and just kind of seeing if there's been anything like new there or whatever. But like there's there's been very little um, in terms of of Delhi's updates. He had a concussion, so like that's it could be like a thing where they're going to be slow with him, and and I think that's correct. But they are certainly going to get back quality players this week, and or at least guys that are better than some of the guys they're playing. So what does that do for them? How much does that raise, you know, the quality, uh, you know, of play that they have, or, or just raise sort of the defensive, at least awareness? I mean, Delhi. I mean, you have Delhi. You have um, Lance and Thompson that are all better defenders than the guys they would be getting minutes over. So, like, that is going to be something that, I think definitely contributes to just some quality. And I wonder what that means against good teams, right? Like, I don't know if it's going to make them like good defensively. I would be shocked if that happened, but could they string together three good defensive performances this week? Even if, even if they do lose like three of those games, that that's, that's probably fine. If they at least look a little bit better. That's to me what I'm looking for. Yeah. And that makes sense. And, you know, it's, you know, again, it kind of goes back to that, that talk with, you know, how much is Longabardi to blame? Um, and, you know, I don't know what you've seen that, you know, would inspire you necessarily. But at the same time, you just listed, you know, basically all of the Cavs vets who are out right now. Um, those are the guys who would theoretically have the defensive know-how. Uh, we also don't know, like, how focused they're going to be when they come back. Like, you know, Tristan Thompson is going to be sort of working his way back in, um, coming off an injury. Um you know, he's going to be getting different minutes. Nance is going to be get, getting different minutes. Um, you know, it's the end of a, a lost season. Um, you know, I know a few years ago, at least, they said, you know, they looked into, well, how much does the last month of a season, in terms of, like, building momentum or not, like, really actually carry into the next, uh, you know, the next year? And for the most part, like, it really doesn't. Um, so, uh you know, I don't know how much the guys will feel like they have to play for, um, but you would think they would get to a, a sort of a different level of um, a, a different level of competence, at least than when they're relying on Chris, Zizic, Sexton, you know, Clarkson, you know, to the extent that they have. What Which of these games piques your interest the most? Um, you know, I always like watching them play the Pistons. So there's, there's that, I think just objectively, um, Milwaukee just lost Brogdon, but, uh, people are, are sort of talking about them like the 2008, 2009 Cavs that, you know, they've really just been amazing all year. Um, and you know, they're, do they have, you know, one star, are they one star based? Yes. But they've, you know, finally put some shooters around Giannis and, uh, it's paid off. So, um, you know, I, I've seen them play probably four or five times this year, but it's always good to kind of check in on them. So selfishly Detroit, but I think that the correct answer is, is Milwaukee. 
can I tell you like that I think the Clippers game and the upcoming Clippers game that's the next weekend in LA are probably the the highest on my schedule just because I want to see like as much shy Gilgis Alexander or Shea Gilgis Alexander excuse me as I can against Colin Sexton like there's a lot of other stuff like that you're talking about that I think is correct I really just want to see how Colin and, and Shea stack up because there's a lot when you if you read like enough about the NBA or if you're like a sicko or like like me like whatever it seems like he's like higher in people's minds that like cover the league as a whole than Colin is right now and I don't I have not watched enough of him to know that it's fair I when I do watch him I come away pretty impressed it also he's also a guy that if you can you know if you trust the reporting of like the draft express crew and whatever it seems like he's a guy that uh, did not want to come to Cleveland and like they maybe that we don't know if that like took him out of the conversation for the Cavs at eight or whatever but like that will that's just uh, an interesting kind of inflection point there maybe both teams will end up being happy that that certainly can happen I just want to see like how those two guys actually play against each other um seeing Colin against other guards his age to me is just something we don't get to see enough of because of the type of teams they're playing most often and I just I'm curious that that to me is just like the person on person matchup I just kind of want to see the most and I want to actually see in that game too if Jetty, how Jetty would guard um, both Lou Williams and Gallinari if he spends time on both of them. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I, on one hand, if, if somebody doesn't want to play here, you don't want to, you know, annoy agents, you don't want to annoy the player. Um, that being said, you, you know, right or wrong, you have them under control for a long period of time to try and sell them on on what you have and what you're building. Um, and I don't know, you know, we don't know if the Cavs are really interested in them anyway. So no, it's true. We don't. Um, so it's hard to say, but, uh, people do seem pretty high on him. Um, so, you know, that, that'll be interesting to see. Colin seems to take some things personally. He's, he started playing a lot better when he didn't make any of the, you know, all-star rising star, you know, teams, um, even as an alternate. So, um, Hopefully, Colin takes it personally, but also, you know, plays within a system and continues taking steps forward. He's been pretty good for, you know, about a month now. So that's not a bad place to be. Anything else you want to, you want to, any last second takes you want to get off your chest before we go? Uh, I just like, I, I don't want to like read any more like Tristan Thompson is out or Tristan Thompson says, you know, might play like. I don't really, you know, it's just start playing or just, or don't like update me when he plays kind of tired of, of hearing about it at this point. Um, because they're not giving us like any new information about, you know, his recovery. Um, people have been acting like he might be able to come back for over a month now. Um, so it's just kind of weird that, it's drawn on like this. Yeah, I think that's about right. Um, but that's going to be it for today's episode of The Bottom. David and I will be back later this week, perhaps on Friday. And then you also get to hear David. I know some people out there wanted David and Chops to do a follow-up episode talking about Captain Marvel, talking about Odell and some other, ca- and then some Cavsy things, of course. But David, I'm going to say I really did like Captain Marvel. I enjoyed it. Did you? Yeah, it was really good. Um, I, I kind of said... I think I was like, you know, sometimes like, and I think I was with a, like this with Black Panther too. Like you get caught up about like the conversations outside of the movie about whether they're good or, you know, 
whether they're going to be good. So like when I'm watching it, I'm almost like more nervous for the film. Like, wow, I hope, I hope this is good. Like, I hope it works out. Like it took way too long to get a female led Marvel movie. Like it would be very good if it was good as opposed to bad. And like with black Panther, we don't have nearly enough films with like African-American, you know, representation like that. I hope it's good because, you know, people will use it for things that I don't like if it's not. But in both cases, I think the movie really came through. And um, I, the more I think about it, the more I like it. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I, I think it was a little convenient how powerful she got at the end. Um, but that's just kind of like the character from what I can tell. Um, so I enjoyed it. By the way, uh, as we get out of here, uh, LeBron just got blocked by Mario Hazonia. So... That's where we're at. That, that's where we're at in life. But that's going to be it for the bottom. Um, thank you so much for listening. I'm going to go watch this clip over and over again because it's freaking hilarious. But again, check back later this week. Check out Trevor McNaughty this week too. We're going to give you a bunch of draft stuff because it's March Madness season. He's got a pod that's going up on Monday about Jared Culver. And he'll also have a conversation later this week with, we're, we're still trying to figure out exactly who it's going to be, but another draft Nick person uh, to get you ready for March Madness. But for myself, for David, this has been The Bottom a For The Sort podcast, and we will talk to you again here very soon.